Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, gang, Mike and Mark with you. Really happy you're able to join us for this episode. One of the best players in all of baseball, Clayton Kershaw, is with us. And, folks, just a reminder, too, your support really helps us bring you stars like Clayton with their incredible stories. So when you get a moment, if you would, please rate and review us wherever you get our podcasts. And Mark, really a great time to catch up with Clayton. He's fresh off winning the World Series. And as always, he's deeply involved in his charity work. Yeah, Mike, a former teammate of mine, too. So this is extra special for me. I think the world of Clayton Kershaw and and what's different about this is we've always on this podcast have wanted to get the current players and the, with the pandemic it's been a challenge so uh clayton kershaw an uh, emotional high after the world series this is a great get because i know the human being that clayton kershaw is can't wait to hear his feeling about finally winning that world series well clayton the ride's certainly been well documented we're sure that you've dreamt about it but now here you are clayton kershaw and the los angeles dodgers 2020 world series champions how's that sound man it sounds awesome i uh yeah i mean i keep thinking about it you know i'm uh, not really having a like a finality to it with uh you know with your teammates or getting to do a parade or anything like that in la so i'm just waiting i'm just you know playing we're the champions over and over again i've said that before and uh you know i play game six at 8 30 p.m every night just watch it again and um no but it's uh it's been amazing man <laughs> it's just uh I, i've just enjoyed every bit of it and um, I don't know if it'll ever really sink in until, you know, maybe next season starts. I don't know. Well, Clayton, uh, let's go through that moment because uh, you pitched game one and game five, but game six after an off day, you're uh, sitting there and I- I'm watching on the TV and I- I'm like, where is Kirsch? I, I mean, where is he? I got, I got to see his reaction because that moment's coming. And then they shoot you. You're in the bullpen, which doesn't surprise me. You're going to do whatever it takes but you're in the bullpen the moment that those last outs are, are made. Take us through that feeling of, of your reaction when it was happening, the buildup and, and the drama going through that. Yeah, man. I mean, I think, uh, you know, obviously out in the bullpen and just trying to, you know, understand the situation of the game and to see if there's a chance that I could ever possibly get in this game. And, you know, Doc and I obviously talked about that before, but um, you know, once that final out was made, um, really once Julio went in the game, honestly, I kind of knew that um, if everything went to plan, I was going to be out. So I really started to think about it a little bit like, man, this really could be it. This could be it. And honestly, just the feelings that you have after you win, you know, I, you can't script it. You really don't know what you're going to do or what the emotions are going to do when they take over. But um, I think the first first thought for me was just like a, a sense of relief almost. You know, you see that last out and um just like we finally did it you know I mean Swain you were there at the very beginning with me but I mean it's it was rough there you know every year we we lost and uh so to get to finally have that pressure somewhat lifted um that we finally brought a world series home to LA after 32 years and um to get to think about all the people that have been impacted by this to think about the fans watching from home or even in the stands that got to be there and uh just an overwhelming sense of relief and then you know running in and seeing your teammates, you know, seeing my family off to the side, just just pure joy, you know, just uh, to get to look your peers, your teammates in the eyes and um, finally say, hey, we did it. You know, thank you for being a part of this with me. Thank you for doing this. And um, just so proud to be a part of that group of guys. And 
Um, so yeah, just, it turned to pure joy after the relief and I'm still riding that joy. I'm still on it right now. (laughs) Have you had a chance for it really to wash over you fully? Obviously in the middle of a pandemic, it's tougher, as you pointed out. I mean, there aren't the parades. It's harder to be around, uh, the Los Angeles fandom, uh, the way you would typically in a given year, but maybe it gives you a chance to be a bit more perhaps reflective. Have you had that opportunity to, to drink in what you've actually accomplished? Yeah, I think so. I think, um, I think, like you said, we haven't had that, that moment, that parade, that things like that, but different, uh, you know, different times throughout this thing, I've, I've had people show me uh, replays of people at home in LA or people watching on TV and just their reactions. And that is, that's emotional in and of itself, just to see how much it mattered to people all over the city, all over the state, all over the country, really. And then um, to finally get to do that and be a part of it and then come home and think about it. Um, you know, I, I'm not one to reflect. I've never been one in my career to reflect good or bad um, just because I, I feel like there's always so, something to be done. You know, we never accomplished our goal of winning. And so until that finally has happened, I don't think I've really ever sat back and thought about anything throughout my career. But now that we've won, I think about it and I try to, I try to let it sink in. I try and let it, you know, marinate because I don't know if we'll ever get to do that again. And um, it's it's what what I've been working for, what our team has been working for for so long. So um, maybe maybe the pandemic has helped a little bit in that way to help us get through that and be a little bit more reflective with it. You know what, Kirsch, uh, with the pandemic uh, brought on so many different challenges. And for our listeners that don't know it, uh, you grew up 20 miles away. Uh, from the stadium that you're playing in this bubble and you had three different series leading into that world series but uh, you couldn't spend time with people uh, that you that you know your friends your family I know how important that is to you Um, but you had this group and a group text that I thought was uh, such a great story because it's your high school buddies um, guys that are so close to you that know the inner self of you more than anyone else. What was that like taking the ride through them and, and your interaction with them after this world series championship? Yeah, it's, it was, it was special. I mean, I think um, in a normal year, it would have been hard for them, right? They, they have tried to come to world series games in the past, but you know, they've got real jobs, so they can't be at every game. You know, we played Boston, we played Houston, you know, they, they try and be there. You know, we played Chicago in the playoffs. They've, they've tried to go everywhere. And, uh, you know, but they've got real jobs, real lives, real families, too. So it's it's hard for them to get to games all the time, but they do such an amazing job. And so for them to get to be at basically every single game throughout our playoffs and um, my family as well, you know, I just with the travel and things right now, I don't know if it would have been possible for anybody to come if it wasn't there. And so just a surreal moment to look up in the stands after the game and see that group of buddies, um, to see my family, to see everybody up there and to get to wave and just, you know, say we did it, you know, cause they, like you said, they, they see me in the off seasons. They see me after, you know, we lose in the playoffs and um, it's not fun, you know, it's not fun to be a part of that. And I know they want it for me just as bad as I do. So um, just a really special moment for me to get to see all those people there. Hard to believe it's taken 357 games that you've pitched in to get to this opportunity, but it's yeah. true. It's yeah. happened. I mean, you're at the pinnacle. Take us back, though, if you would, to your major league beginning, because you get called up as a 20-year-old in 2008. Tell us the story about how you found out you were going to the big leagues and who you immediately shared the news with. 
Yeah. So I was in Zebulon, North Carolina. I was in double A and, uh, I was, um, I was, I think I was pitching that day and, uh, I pitched an inning and they took me out of the game and, you know, obviously kind of upset. I didn't know what was going on. If it was like an innings restriction or if I got sent down, I mean, I had no idea what was going on. So I, I had to watch the rest of the game for the clubhouse or whatever, and wait for the manager to finish the game. And, Sure enough, you know, he says, come in my office. We walk straight into his office and I get on the phone with our general manager at the time, Ned Coletti and the manager, and they tell me I'm going up and uh, don't tell anybody because the person that I'm taking their spot is getting released and they don't know yet. Um, and so I, I immediately I called everybody I knew, you know, they weren't going to tell this guy. So I just started <laughs> telling everybody and um, I just said, hey, you have to get to L.A. First call was my my girlfriend at the time, my wife now. And I just said, um, Hey, you have to get to, you have to get to LA and she's a college student. She's at Texas A&M. She's like, how am I going to get to, how am I going to get to LA? But, uh, we ended up having a great turnout at the, at the game. It was a day game against the Cardinals. And, um, I struck out Skip Schumacher. I had to throw that in there. It was my first strikeout of my career and I love Skip, but I always say that any chance I get just so I can throw it in there. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, just a special day. You know what, uh, Clayton, uh, being on that team and, and watching you and, and the impact that you had, I even go back uh, to spring training and and watching you uh, go about it. And why I say that is you had an it factor. Um, I was also with the Giants uh, before the Dodgers, and the guy that had the it factor was Tim Lincecum. Um, I think people need to understand that there's a lot of talent that you see in locker rooms. There's a lot of talent at the big league level. But uh, that it, it factor really comes into play. Um, did that help you in your confidence making that big jump and taking that first opportunity? Um, you know, I think I think there's always a part of you that knows that you want to be there. And so um, regardless of the nerves being in your first big league camp or regardless of, um, you know, looking up and seeing some of the guys that you've looked up to as a kid, you know, I mean, I was 20 years old. I was a kid looking up to the guys. I played with Jason Schmidt. I was in the same clubhouse as you know Derek Lowe, Nomar, Jeff Kent. You know all these guys. And uh, there is a little you know a shock factor that might take a minute, but at the same time, um, you just try and remember that you're there for a reason. And it honestly, it didn't come easy to me. You know, I pitched okay that first debut, but. Um, you know, the rest of that season was pretty rough and I got sent down a couple times and, um, really had to learn to take my lumps. And that's why I, I will always respect Joe Torrey and love Joe Torrey for what he did as our manager, because he just kind of let me wear it, you know, and he didn't, uh, he didn't try to coddle me when I pitched bad. And at the same time, he didn't tell me how great I was when I pitched well, and he just treated me like a normal starter. And I thought that was, uh, I think that really helped my development. Well, you look at it, Kirsch, uh, you, you make that start and on your back is number 54. Um, <laughs> that's, that's shocking. Um, some, uh, low life guy that's taking it at bat in the eighth and ninth inning is wearing number 22. And I, I did not know that was your favorite number. Take <laughs> us through that story because uh, I, here's, here's the thing, uh, Kirsch, from my perspective, someone comes up to me and says, Hey, uh, Kershaw loves number 22. I, and honestly, a number for me was a privilege. It was a privilege to be in a, in a uniform. Um, the realization of knowing that someone that is going to wear number 22 is going to be there for a long time. That was, that was kind of an easy decision. 
um, at that point in my career, I was 39 years old when I was playing with you. Um, number 22 meant Wally Joyner to me, who was one of my former teammates that I loved. It, a number was basically an opportunity for me. But someone came up to me and said, hey, Kirsch wants number 22. I didn't know it. Uh, your, your idol was Will Clark, right? Am I right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, that that was a sorry. Go ahead, Smee. Yeah. No, but I was uh, just putting in perspective. um, You needed to pitch in twenty two because that was a that was another reason for that. And I say it. We we had a lot of fun because I always had a lot of fun in the locker room. I had a lot of time on my hands. But that (laughs) I'll remember this, and this is interesting, and why you have number twenty two. Mitch Poole, who was our clubhouse guy, said to me after I said, hey, we, Kershaw needs 22. I'll get whatever number you want. He said, you know what? I don't think we can make that change. And I said, no, I think you have to make that change. And he said, well, the PR department's not going to like it because they don't like number changes. Well, I'm glad they did. And and I've never had that conversation with you. I know I had. I gave you a lot of fun with it. But, man, 22 means a lot not only to you wearing it for your whole career after that number 54, but man, from a Dodger fan, uh, that's a number that's not going to be worn again. Uh, And that has to be pretty special. Man. Yeah. Fun is a good way to put it, Swain. I felt so bad that that even got out. Um, I remember, you know, when you're a rookie, you don't talk about anything. You just go pitch and you don't say a word and you just kind of go about your day and don't get anybody's way and do your best. And, um, I remember Charlie Steiner came up to me and was like, 54, you don't wear 54. What's your favorite number? And I was like, Oh, it doesn't matter. Charlie. It's fine. It's a number. I'm in the big leagues. It doesn't matter. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, no, come on. What's your, and I was like, well, I mean, I, I grew up and I told him the story about Will Clark, you know, I'm from Texas, you know, Ranger fan he played first base when I wasn't pitching. I loved Will Clark. That was my favorite. And, I don't know how, I mean, he probably told Mitch to Mitch tell you or whatever, but somehow that got back to you a rookie's worst nightmare to have to go <laughs> tell like a, you know, an umpteen year veteran, you know, that they, this rookie wants to take your number. So of course I get flack for it for weeks after that pitch horribly while I'm doing it at the time. So it was just piling on. Um, but yes, in the end, thank you for letting me wear that. I, uh, um, I can't imagine pitching in a different one now. So it's a, it is a, it is a special number to me. I, I grew up using it. And um, I remember playing, you know, when I was nine years old, wearing that number. So there's definitely some significance for me for that. Kirsch, I'll tell you this too, uh, from my perspective, um, the way you treated the game, the way you came in and respected that it, it, it speaks volumes. And I hope our listeners can understand that because that's how I came in. Be quiet, uh, earn your keep and, and Go out and play the game that you love. But, man, um, a guy that's a pinch hitter and a bench player, uh, you're afforded a, the name on the front, and that's good enough. It doesn't matter what number it is. But guys that sustain a career like you've had, that's what should be special. It should be important because, you know what? Uh, kids are walking around, and it says 22 Kershaw on the back. And and, and there's good reason for that. So uh, kudos to that. I'm glad it happened. Uh, I'm glad Mitch Poole got somebody to say, you know what, let's do this because it was the right decision. Well, I mean, I'll take it, but 
It still makes me cringe to this day. For sure. <laughs> you know, I, we hear all the time about how guys have to offer up something to get a number from another player. And I know Sweeney really, really well. So I'm going to assume he tried to extort you to some extent. Did you guys yeah, have he to said swap? He, wanted a, he said he wanted a, yeah, he wanted a motorcycle or something. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, but hey, this is my second start in the big leagues. I don't really, I can't really pull that off right now. So I want to Pedals, yeah. Kirsch. Kirsch, let's let's go into something that I think is really special because you have uh, relationships in the game that are that are very important. Um, I remember that spring training down at Vero Beach. It's the last year of Vero Beach, and I drove in for that particular day. And I look out in the in the practice mounds, and you're talking to Sandy Koufax, and obviously Rick Honeycutt was there, and and a couple others. Um, that relationship has been very special. How has it evolved in your eyes and how special it is to have an icon uh, as a Dodger um, have a relationship with you? Yeah, Sandy's unbelievable. I mean, I think um, I, I think of so many things when I think of Sandy, but, you know, the first thing is just like pure humility. Um, he just he does never wants to talk about what he did or how he did it. And he is just purely there because he wants to help. And I think that's, you don't see that a lot from, you know, old baseball players. And I, I think that's, that's just amazing to see that this guy truly just came to spring training because um, he loves baseball. He wants to help when he can, and then wants to fly under the radar. He doesn't want any attention um, even though he's the legend that he is. And, and now I just consider him a friend, honestly, I think he, he just is so supportive and, um, he, he still calls me and, you know, just tells me good job or tells me, you know, keep my head up or whatever it may be. And, um, yeah, just, just an amazing relationship. And another great thing about what being on the Dodgers means, just cause you get to be with so many amazing, uh, you know, legends and guys that stick around the game that want to help you. You know what, Kirsch, I, when we first saw Sandy, uh, we all tried to, you know, have a small little conversation with him. And we, and we said, are you going to come to L.A.? He didn't feel like he wanted to be in L.A. a lot. But I, I think you've helped that, nurture that. Am I wrong in saying that? Because you see, uh, you see Koufax more involved with the organization. And I think you have a lot to do with that because, uh, listen, he's got to be proud the way you have presented yourself and the Dodger organization. Uh, I don't know. I hope I, we haven't scared him away. You know, I think that's one thing that he, he continues to at least come in spring training and on opening day and play off some. And so um, I th honestly, I think some of it has a lot to do with our ownership. I think a lot should be said for when the new ownership group came in in 2012. Um, Sandy's become great friends with Mark Walter, our head owner, and um, they really made a big push to make sure Sandy was a part of this organization. So um, I think, you know, a tip of the cap should go to them as well. Well, it's been a, uh, an experience, I think, for all of us on the outside as fans to watch you develop, to watch your relationship with Sandy Koufax develop. It's given all of us who are fans of the game something extraordinary to witness in real time. Something else that was extraordinary to witness was your 2014 season. And it's hard for me to pick uh, a great Clayton Kershaw year because you've had so many. But I do like to look at 2014 because not only did you win a Cy Young, one of your three, uh, you win the MVP. But you're also um, able to experience a wonderful personal milestone in your no-hitter against the Colorado Rockies. Uh, in June of that year, you strike out 15. You don't walk anybody. Walk us through the magic of that night 
and what it's like to go through that experience, what you're aware of, when you're aware that you've got a real shot at a no hitter. Um, yeah, it was a fun, it was, it was fun night, you know, actually in May that month before Josh Beckett had thrown a no hitter, um, in Philly and, uh, he just was joking around saying, you know, you'll never do that. And, you know, stuff like that on the plane <laughs> after, and, um, you know, it was, it was his last year. And so he was, he was just riding high, enjoying it. And it was awesome to see, but then sure enough, I got an opportunity to do it, you know, the, the month after. And, um, you know, obviously you have no idea what it's going to be like that day. You could very well be terrible, but some things started going my way early in the game. Um, you know, a few balls right at guys or whatever it may be. And then, you know, by the fifth, sixth inning, we had gotten a pretty big lead to the point where the Rockies kind of knew that it was over. And um, so I just I just started, you know, going after him as best I could. And then sure enough, you know, the seventh, eighth inning rolls around. And, you know, by the time the seventh inning rolls around, uh, you start getting kind of nervous all over again, like the beginning of the game. Like, oh, man, this might happen. Um, and then by the ninth inning, you know, just anxious, ready to get out of there and um, thankfully they were swinging and got out of there with a decent pitch count. And, um, and then after the game to see AJ, you know, AJ is one of my best friends in the game and, um, to get to give him a hug after doing that, I know it was so special for me and I, I hope for him too. And, and then, you know, my wife was at the game actually. So I got to see her and, um, you know, she was so excited for us and it was just a, it was just a special night, you know, you never expect to get to do that. So it was cool. Yeah, and you you made a good reference to uh, your good friend AJ Ellis, who was catching that night. Uh, that chemistry uh, goes beyond just uh, you know putting down the signs and throwing. Uh, you know, being around both of you guys that developed earlier um, than that night in that particular night. Um, that chemistry is important, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I think the biggest thing with catching is like you know catchers don't have to be your best friend, right? I've thrown to so many great catchers over the years. Um, but you just have to feel like that they're in it with you, you know, and, um, you know, the first, my first year that I was fortunate enough to win a Cy Young award, Rod Barajas was, was one of my catchers and Rod, you know, is with the Padres now. And, mm-hmm. um, he was, he was just great, you know, because I was so, he was, you know, he was his, one of his last years to play and it was one of my first years, but he didn't treat me like that. And I think he just legitimately wanted to win the game. And so I think that that was such a huge help just feeling like that they're in it with you to try and win a baseball game. And, um, you know, obviously AJ and, uh, Barnsey both, you know, have been, you know, two of my better friends in the game. AJ has been one of my best friends, you know, my third kid is middle named Ellis. So, <laughs> that's right. um, you know, he's, he's definitely going to be a part of my life for a long time. And, um, you know, just, uh, just a special relationship there for sure. Kirsch, interesting. You throw that no hitter. Um, that's your first, but it's, uh, Vince Gully's 19th that he called, <laughs> Uh, yeah. and that was his last year, uh, last year, but, um, speak to that because this is a legend in the organization. Uh, but man, isn't that really nice going back and watching that game and hearing Vin Scully, uh, calling your game? Yeah. Vin's the man, you know, Vin, and it's just, uh, it's just amazing how long he was able to do it. And honestly, he could probably still do it if he wanted to, it was just time for him to go. And, um, he was, he was so gracious about the whole thing. Just another Another, another amazing legend, you know, that the Dodgers have, you know, him and Sandy are kind of cut from the same cloth about as far as their character and um, just what they stand for. And I just think uh, it's, it is a special thing. Not many guys, well, I guess actually quite a few, 19 of them can say they've had a Ben Scully no-hitter, but 
uh, that's that's pretty cool that I get to be on that list. That's pretty special. Yeah, and Koufax with four. Uh, you know what? For our <laughs> listeners, guys, uh, this is pretty important because um, there's momentos from that game and all through your career. And there's one guy that a lot of people don't know about, and it's John Suhu. And why I mention him is that he captures everything in photos. A, a very talented guy that's been working in the organization for over 30 years. Why I say that is that uh, he and his sons all captivated, uh, captured all of your pictures when that no-hitter happened. And, um, of course, other things, too. Kirsch, do you have anything that, that signifies that night um, through John Suhu? Yeah, I actually, um, I actually have some pretty amazing photos from that night that obviously John, um, it's amazing just what, like you said, what Suhu's done over the years, he's still there. And every year he kind of does like a coffee table book and, uh, of the whole year and memories. And, um, you know, I think I have a book just solely of that night. Um, which is so cool. You know, someday I'll get to, you know, tell my kiddos if they care about it. And if not, I'll just show them anyway. Right. It's a no hitter. I'll retire. It's fine. They can, they can sit there and listen to me, um, but it's uh it'll be, it'll be cool to be able to show that one day. You know, Clayton, just uh, listening to you recount with such humility, the exploits you've had on the field. I know a lot of fans think they know what you're about and Many of us have had a chance to see the work you do outside of the game uh, from a distance, but we'd like you to talk a little bit more about the importance of the project you've been involved with since 2011. Uh, your fourth year in the big leagues, you found Kershaw's Challenge, where you're able to help some vulnerable children in Los Angeles and in Dallas, where you're from, Africa, uh, the Dominican as well. What drew you and your family to that cause? So my wife had... Uh um, had started going in college. So her freshman year in college, she just really felt, um, a calling to go over there. She felt, she had felt called to go there for some time. So her freshman summer, she went over to Zambia, um, just through a local, you know, local mission group and met a, met a little girl over there named Hope, who was nine at the time. Um, and she was, she needed help. She was, you know, she's a double orphan and, um, you know, didn't have food, clothing, or shelter, any of her basic needs being met. And she needed, uh, she needed medicine. She was HIV positive at the time. And, um, and so from that one girl, you know, Ellen called me on the way home and just said, Hey, we have to help this girl. And that is what has turned into Kershaw's challenge. And it's just been an amazing thing to be able to see, um, you know, the gift that baseball is and the platform that it is that, um, it started with that one girl. And then just by, the grace of God, we've been able to raise over $12 million to all these different beneficiaries over the past 10 years and um, really of no volition of our own. You know, it's, it's always been something that um, we never set out to start a nonprofit or anything like that. But um, we've got beneficiaries now, like you said, in Dallas, LA and Dominican and Zambia and um, with the goal of just trying to help kiddos that need help. And um it's been a really cool thing to go with a part of baseball because I, I really do feel like for every baseball question I've answered, I think I've answered two questions about Kershaw's challenge. And that's, that's pretty special. And that's, that's been no different with winning the world series too. I, I feel like the exposure that Kershaw's challenge has gotten because of the world series has um, just helped a lot more kids. So it's, it's been really cool to see. You know what, Kersh, I, I mean, you basically just said it in that last statement. Um, it, it's it's beyond the pitches that you've thrown, uh, the awards that you've you've had. It's the impact that you have with that platform that you've you've done. Um, 
last question for me is really uh, you watch that World Series championship. You're building your resume. What's next for you? I mean, how do you envision uh, these next uh, few years? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that's just an honest answer. I, I don't know. Um, my whole life, um, you know, after you kind of get established in the big leagues, my whole goal is to to win and to win a World Series. I've been fortunate enough to be on a team like the Dodgers where we always have that opportunity and that chance. And so um, I want to do it again. You know, I think just the competitor and any athlete wants to win. Um, but as far as like how you're going to do it, how long you're going to play or anything like that, I have no idea other than I am excited about next year. We're going to be on a great team and we got another chance to win a World Series. So I'm excited about that. Kirsch, have you asked uh, anyone? I know you're not afraid of that, but have you asked guys that have been in the situation that you are and and uh, get suggestions, or are you just going to get a feel for year to year? I think so. I've I've talked to guys that have won the World Series and about like you know the World Series hangover that next month, the first month leading into the season, and how you know you're just not quite there and quite ready. And honestly, I'm not concerned about that with our team. I think we're going to be. Um, we're just going to be too good to not have some success in the early months, but, um, individually, I don't know if there's been, um, I haven't really reached out as far as, you know, everything that's piled up leading up to that world series of disappointments and failures and things like that to have finally, you know, have that pressure lifted. Um, and there's always pressure, right? There's always pressure when we play the game, there's always pressure, but, um, I think the pressure that you put on yourself that, you are better than what people think you are and things like that. To finally have that lifted and kind of validated, I think, um, is going to be an interesting season for me because I haven't had that in a long time. So I'm hoping that it helps. One of baseball's great guys. You want to find out more about his charity, make sure you check it out. It's KershawsChallenge.com. Clayton, three-time Cy Young winner and MVP, player of the year, eight-time All-Star, five ERA titles, most important, 2020 World Series champion. Congratulations, and thanks so much for joining us. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Folks, thanks so much for checking out Major League Beginnings. If you had as much fun as we did, we hope you'll go ahead and hit the subscribe button where you usually download your podcast from. It could be Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you like. We're just glad to have you aboard, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.